Thank you. Good evening. As you can see in your bulletin, our text tonight is from Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. We all want to be part of something that lasts. I remember even having this desire at the early age of fifth grade. By taking the courage to write a brief note, I became the boyfriend of the class beauty, Jenny Dubois. (laughs) In order to solidify this very strong relationship, we decided that the recent Chicago cassette tape was going to be ours. And our special song from that album was none other than Just say you love me for the rest of my life. That was, yeah. Our passage today is Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. It says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. The main point that we can take from these verses is that God promises to build a lasting rule. He graciously calls us to trust him, call to him, and live under his good rule. First, let me explain how these verses fit into this psalm. This is the last psalm of book three of the five books that make up the psalms. The third book is characterized as the darkest of the books. Psalm 73 opens book three, complaining about how the righteous suffer, and this psalm ends it with another complaint. The script that introduces this psalm is, says, of Ethan the Ezraite, and that may, has led some to think that, these, that this was one of the three singers that David appointed that he wrote this, but the complaint about the fallen state of the king would mean that Ethan would have had to write it at the end of his life when Rehoboam, David's grandson, was dealing with the split of his kingdom. But I think it's more likely that it is a psalm later written, and this of Ethan the Ezraite signals the, the tune for the song um, that maybe Ethan had written earlier. Verses 1 and 2 speak of praising God for his steadfast love. The verses we're looking at speak of God's promise to David and his offspring. Then the psalmist praises God's strength and supremacy in verses 5 through 8 over the heavenly beings, in verses 9 through 10 over the strongest and scariest things on earth, and then over in 11 through 13, God shows himself above creation. Then verses 14 to 16 speak of God's people being blessed, and verses 17 and 18 hone in specifically on the blessing through a strong king. Then verses 19 through 27 show God choosing David and promising to exalt him. In these verses, God is taking the credit for this. He uses it I nine times and my eight times here. 28 and 29 mention the promise to David's offspring, and verses 30 through 37 show that these blessings come with conditions. Then the psalm turns dark as the psalmist describes the judgment and humiliation that God has brought on the king in verses 38 to 45. The psalmist is distressed but not confused about who has brought this about. There are 13 yous in these verses, showing that he knows that God has brought about this judgment. Then verses 46 through 51 are questions and petitions to God about restoring the anointed offspring of David. So I remember I said that we can see from this passage that God promises to build a lasting rule. 
He graciously calls us to trust him, call to him, and live under his good rule. First, God calls us to trust him. We see the mention of covenant here. Throughout the Bible, God graciously and progressively keeps choosing certain people and enters into covenant with them. I say graciously because our continuous rebellion against God means that the only thing we deserve is death. But God graciously speaks and promises to be faithful to what he says. How do we practically trust him? First, we should not take for granted that God speaks. We have his revealed word given to us and translated into our languages. As we study and meditate on it, we have the chance to be changed by it. One really practical way to meditate on God's word is something that Oliver introduced to us last year in a foundations class. It's called Fighter Versus. Fighter, like, which is an app you can buy on your phone. It chooses a passage every week for you to memorize and has two options for songs that put the passage to music. I find that listening to those songs every day is an easy way to allow the scripture a chance to influence my life. Another way God grows our trust in him is by bringing trials into our lives. James says that we should count it all joy when we face various kinds of trials. And Paul says that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul also says that if God loved us so much as to not spare giving us his son, how will will he not also give us all things? So as the trials come, we get the chance to respond in faith and believe these words. Another way we trust him is to believe what he says about our relationship as believers. That is one way I have grown a lot in understanding since coming to Rack. The idea that we can love Jesus by loving our fellow brothers and sisters. To serve and build up our brothers and sisters here is a way to practically trust God. Now, point two is that we should call to God. As I mentioned, this psalmist observed the pitiful state of the lineage of David and laments it in this psalm. But the psalmist's action is to call to God in prayer. He has no doubt that the reason for the current conditions is God's doing. He knows what God has promised and prays it back to God. He asks God questions in this psalm, But but unlike some of the questions that people in the passage that Josh preached about this morning in John, his questions are based in faith. As we see in the Gospel of John, Jesus would not entrust himself to the people because they were looking for a Messiah who would just meet their physical needs. But the truest and deepest need that we have is to be protected from just wrath that God must pour out on our sins. Only in King Jesus do we have the chance to be defended from that wrath as the justice of God is taken on Jesus instead of on those who put their faith in him. Excuse me, I think I just went to the wrong page. That didn't, that didn't, yeah. It was glorious gospel, but I don't think I'm there yet. Um, His questions are based on faith. Right. He knows the situation has been brought about by God, and so he boldly asks God about their end date. God invites us to lament, 
God isn't afraid of our honest questions. How is your prayer life? When you're faced with challenges, do you pray first? As I think about these questions, I have to confess that my actions often betray an unwarranted arrogance. Comparing the time I spend making and executing plans versus the time I spend praying, I often live as if it all depended on me and my own wisdom. I don't mean to guilt you into praying more, but as I think about this idea, I realize my need to align my actions with my beliefs. How much freedom and peace do we miss out on when we live under the burden of thinking that the results of our lives depend on our own wisdom and actions. Prayer is the best way to posture our hearts and align our lives with the reality that we profess. And that leads to the third point, to live under God's good rule. The psalmist is lamenting that they don't have a king like David. David was considered the gold standard for God's people. His zeal for God caused great blessing for his people. All the kings afterward were judged as to how they lived compared to David. But even David's rule wasn't perfect. Ask Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba, or the 70,000 men who died because David wanted to conduct an unlawful census. It's a reality of life that leadership greatly affects our lives, either positively or negatively. That's one of the unexpected blessings I've found about living here, to see a country whose citizens have respect for its leaders because of the way the leaders look out for their own needs and interests, or the needs and interests of the people, I mean. As the psalmist rightly wrote, God is in charge of the affairs of life. The question is whether we will submit to his reign now or only at judgment time when it's too late. For the people of God in the psalmist time, the king was to execute justice for the people and lead the people in defense against enemies. And then, as we see in in the Gospel of John, Jesus would not entrust himself to the people because they were looking for a Messiah who would just meet their physical needs. But our truest and deepest need that we have is to be protected from the just wrath that God must pour out on our sins. Only in King Jesus do we have the chance to be defended from that wrath as the justice of God is taken on Jesus instead of on those who put their faith in him. One way we can live under God's good rule is to faithfully submit to the authorities God has placed in our lives. Children to parents, workers to bosses, citizens and residents to the governing authorities, wives to husbands, and church members to the elders. We can and should pray for these leaders. Living under God's good rule also means using our authority to bless and serve those under our authority. Living under his good rule also means that we're eagerly awaiting his return. One way to faithfully await his return is to herald his kingdom, as we've been talking about tonight. This is the time that we have the privilege of proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done to those who don't know him. But this is a limited opportunity that will run out. This heralding will always require sacrifice. We will be rejected and hated. We just heard about the current condition of the church in Afghanistan. Apparently the Taliban has a deep informant which has led to the arrest of many believers that our friends know. 
after facing such an arrest by an informant, it might tempt you to never share the good news with anyone again. But that is not what, what citizens of the heavenly kingdom are called to. Despite how it looks, our king promises to build his kingdom, and he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're promised that his rule will never end. One day, Jesus will return, and we will live with him forever. Until that day, we're called to live by faith in the eternal promises of the everlasting rule that is to come. Back to my middle school story, obviously the Chicago song did not end up defining Jenny and my love. That summer, like Caroline, she grew about 10 centimeters, and I didn't. (laughs) As we moved into middle school, Jenny set her eyes on boys she could look straight at, and I had great material for writing preteen angst poems. But thanks to God, I have found a love that will last longer than a school year, longer than a lifetime, one that goes on forever. In Christ is fulfilled the promised lasting rule that is built on his steadfast love. Let's trust him, call to him, and live under his good rule.